Hi, this is Todd Glass, and you're listening to PF Tape Recorder. Huh? That's a good thing. Put a little music under that. I think you can do a lot with it. Hello there, I'm P.F., this is my tape recorder. Coming up, comedian Tim Harmston on getting a little later start than most of his fellow comedians. When I hit about 30 years old, I decided that, oh my God, this is an actual occupation that exists. It's like, like the government acknowledges it on tax forms. We'll hear more from Tim in just a bit. Fangor responds to the BuzzFeed article, 23 songs every former emo kid will never forget. You'll hear where she agrees and disagrees with that article. But first, as always, fake news. And now fake news with me. Comedian Bill Cosby won't face charges in Los Angeles County for sexual assaults he allegedly committed in the 1970s. Cosby's lawyers claim the allegations are false and happened too long ago. <laughs> so it's like they never happened at all. Cosby plans to add Whoopi Goldberg to his defense team. Was not charged. I know it wasn't rape, rape. It was something else, but I don't believe it was rape rape. And when we get all the information, somebody will tell me in my ear. All I'm trying to get you to Whoopi understand... trying to split hairs there on the Roman Polanski case, which, by the way, Roman Polanski was arrested for sexual assault, which is rape. There's no rape rape in sexual assault, Whoopi, okay? There's, there's, it wasn't rape. It was the good kind of rape. Idiot. All right. So, anyway, moving right along. New Year's resolutions might have gotten just a little easier to keep now that McDonald's has announced it will start phasing out eight menu items at an undisclosed time in January. Besides holding the distinct honor of being America's least favorite fast food chain, the company has faced setbacks with menus that are far too large to understand and tanking profits in recent months. One of the solutions for those tanking profits, shrinking the menu sizes. Our intent is to have a cleaner menu board that is easier for customers to absorb, spokesman Lisa McComb said in a statement to the Huffington Post this week. And really, we only have three things that taste different from each other anyway. And one one of them is Coca-Cola. Duck Dynasty star Willie Robertson sounded off on the media firestorm that ensued after his father Phil argued that being gay is a sin in a 2013 GQ interview. Some of the things he said in the interview I did not agree with, and I've said so, Robertson told Larry King in a December 15th chat. We love everybody, but in this business, there are a lot of people who are gay. As to whether or not he thought that being gay or lesbian was a choice, Robertson added, he said, Larry, I'm trying to figure that out right now. I really am, causing Larry to move his chair back slightly. Sony Pictures has made official what has been painfully obvious to everybody since earlier this week when hackers threatened to blow up movie theaters if the interview was released next week on Christmas Day. The studio has officially scrapped its release plans. Sony had little choice here after the major theater chains announced they would not display the film given the threatening circumstances which have now been traced back to North Korea. Many are hopeful though that that nation's dictator will somehow find two broke girls offensive. Walmart CEO Doug McMillan says the company's super centers got way too big. We just found out how big was too big, you know, and some customers don't want to walk all that far, McMillan said in an interview with PBS's Charlie Rose. McMillan and his fellow executives have also discovered that people really don't like to walk into Walmart in the first place. And finally, Cubans in Miami's Little Havana reacted with anger and dismay to President Barack Obama's dramatic bid this past week to end a half-decade Cold War with the communist-ruled island. It's a betrayal. The talks are only going to benefit Cuba, said Miami resident Carlos Munoz Fontanel. Well, Castro and anybody that's looking to make cheap crap to ship back to the United States. And that's been Fake News with me.
fangirl is here and uh, she's getting ready to go to a big party actually. <laughs> and uh, But she decided to stop by and uh, review uh, this article you might have seen in BuzzFeed, and it was called what exactly here? It's called 23 Songs Every Former Emo Kid Will Never Forget. And when, when Fangirl saw this, uh, well, she took a little exception to some of the choices. Uh, Fangirl, do explain. Um, My mom sent me this in the middle of school, and I just immediately burst into tears at how true <laughs> most of it was. Like, I was getting really <laughs> emotional in my English class, and all day I was listening to this dumb songs like this that I listened to all eighth grade and then was now, embarrassed for for the rest of my life. What's really strange is uh, when the, the term emo, uh, I guess, refers to music mostly from the late 90s to early 2000s, mm -hmm. I guess. I guess it goes back to the uh, late mid to late 80s out of the post-punk movement. And I'd never really heard this term. The first time I ever heard it was when Owl City had Ocean Eyes out and uh, 97X was still an internet station. And I said, oh, you guys should be should be playing this. And the program director, uh, who I knew, said, uh, well, the, the it's it's nice, but the vocals sound too emo to me. And, and, I didn't know and that. I, <laughs> and, I, and when he said the vocals sounded too emo, I thought of this. And I'm watching some men building a new house. And the guy hammering on the roof calls me a paranoid little weirdo <laughs> in Morse code. <laughs> the, the very brilliant Mr. Emo Phillips there, of course. And uh, if, by the way, boys and girls, if you like uh, the late Mitch Hedberg, if you like your Stephen Wright, if you like your uh, jokey jokes, in other words, set up punchline, do check out Emo Phillips. He's all over the internet. And uh, a lot of jokes with a lot of left turns in them, <laughs> but um, you will enjoy. Anyway, back to Emo music uh, <laughs> and the 23 songs every former Emo kid will never forget. All right. Well, a lot of this is stuff with was the stuff that was just popular in the early 2000s like you could turn on the radio and you'd hear panic at the disco you'd hear fallout boy and that's that's still sort of true but it wasn't the norm like little j14 magazine would have disney stars right next to gerard way and stuff like that and that was just that was an era to remember but what i was surprised about was welcome to the black parade is nowhere on the list i know right let's, Which, hear, let's want to hear a couple seconds of that yes here we go <laughs> When I was a young boy, my father took me into the city to see a marching band. He said, son, when you grow up, would you be the savior of the broken, the beaten and the damned? He said, will you defeat them, your demons? So this like has a really super long intro on top of it. <laughs> what the article does is they include the lyric that spoke gonna, to you. It's going to kick in here in yeah. just like, oh, was there a lyric from this that really... Yeah, that I was thinking of. And now on the radio version, they cut this part out. But it's the best part, so... <laughs> the snare drum and everything, like... Oh, I know, right? <laughs> this could be a whole song by itself. <laughs>
Okay, so it, uh, it kicks along regular. Six minutes long, the uh, album version. <laughs> All right, so yeah, do you, some of you agreed with, some you didn't agree with. Um. Okay, okay, let's do this. I don't consider Brand New or Taking Back Sunday an emo band, and they were both they were both featured a few times in the article, I believe. Okay. They're they're more pop punk to me. Like they're more who I could. I mean, I guess they're still Warped Tour bands, but they're more older college Warped Tour bands, and this stuff I consider all Maybe like middle school, high school. Emo. Yeah, like, yeah, like at Warped Tour, how all the bands that were going to be on Warped were talking about how honored they were to be to be going with Taking Back Sunday, because Taking Back Sunday kind of like fathered everything. Yep. So I guess I don't consider them emo. I consider them like college kid who listened to emo stuff in high school. Okay. So um, what, what would you what would you recommend be on the list? So beyond the list even though this is also kind of in the pop punk family i guess i would definitely have a date or member on there probably all signs point to lauderdale okay let's listen to that i hate this town it's so washed up and all my friends don't give a fuck they'll tell me that it's just bad luck when will i find where i fit Well, this is one of those uh, it's just damn down songs i know that's why okay i feel like this damn town is so pop punk but this one is just it really is. An, it's more of an emo one it reminds me of if you're familiar with the bo burnham thing where he has that really vague love song where it's like i love your eyes and they're bluish brownish greenish color because it could just apply to everyone and that's what this song is it's just it's so vague and that's why everyone loved it because everyone could apply it and I don't know. It's for, for those of a certain age, there was a big theme in movies years. And it may still be a theme for all I know where people, my wife noticed this once, where people would stand up, young people usually would stand up on the roof of a building in their town, look over the town and say, it's this damn town. They just yes. got at that damn town. Everything would be fine. <laughs> no, yeah, I remember because I, I was always a very happy emo. I was a very contradictory emo. And That's my friend fact. was always very, uh, this damn town. And I was like, okay, I'll... All signs point to Lauderdale. I hate this town. They sold those t-shirts at every single show of theirs. It's not this town. It's just where you grew up and you're just sick of everyone. Like, it's not the town at all. The town's fine. Such an insightful emo. <laughs> you were. Okay, <laughs> what really else you got? <laughs> okay. Um, this article, I felt like, cut out a lot of the, like... Uh, petty screamo stuff like the stuff that's not actually screamo where little girls would get insulted by metal fans for saying it was screamo All right. and <laughs> I kind of accidentally converted my sister because I would listen to these songs so much and the, the number one would be Situations by Escape the Fate alright here we go Situations are irrelevant now she loves the way that I tease I love the way that she breathes I touched her she touched Now, the layperson may be noticing a pattern here. <laughs> a very soft start, 
I have this very calm thing to tell you. And now I'm going to scream about oh, it. Yeah, a, a breakdown. That sounds exactly like all the other breakdowns. <laughs> um, I was emo back when Ronnie Radke was the big controversy. And this was his first band, Escape the Fate. He got kicked out of that band for being a horrible person. Started a new band. I met him when he was at his phase of the new band, Falling Universe, and he made an incest joke when I told him how much he's helped me and my sister become close. He's just an all around yeah. horrible person, but little emo me is like, no, he's misunderstood. We all are. <laughs> so I had like the posters in my room and the t-shirt, and I, I loved him. I really, truly did. And looking back, I'm like, he has three teardrop tattoos. One means you killed someone. Why am I idolizing this guy? And it's because he was misunderstood, just like all of us. There we are. <sighs> in this damn town. All right. Yep. Okay, um, completely opposite of the screamo side, a lot of people in their scene phase got into like these little peppy ukulele bands, and I don't know how peppy ukulele got grouped in with this, but the poster child for the ukulele bands was Never Shout Never. Oh yeah, we, we met them. And yeah, Never Shout Never, he's great dude, um, when we saw him at the Journeys tour, Journeys is a very emo store also, Yes. he said he's completely clean except for weed, because that's not a drug. Yeah, we oh, that's my like sister to this. And then we d- we talked about it on the show. We d- reviewed the concert, and we said that's uh, like yeah. someone saying, "I'm not a racist anymore, except for black people." Yep, <laughs> basically. But I don't like them for some reason. Yeah, you could be listening to all this this hard screamo, and then you got wrapped into Never Shout Never, and so right. this is Cheater Cheater, Best Friend Eater. Yeah, you sure broke my heart last week when you said you had slept with him. I know you called. I got them all La da 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 Girl, you better love what you got Before you go and give it away But don't say that I don't know you Cause oh, I know all about your type You're the type of girl that texts all day And talks all night and oh that you are feeling sad I don't feel bad Cause even after three text messages Four missed calls You still slept with my best friend Yeah, you sure got a lot of nerve to say And when we saw uh, Never Shout Never He dedicated a song to producer Lizzie Cause she, she made her What song did she request? What is love? What is love? Cause he wasn't uh, planning on doing it And when you listen to bands like this at least Unlike the bands I listen to Can't change their set Because they're all programmed into the sequencer Or uh, the drums are running on tape Like OMD um, you, can, <laughs> you can change your song set And so he did He dedicated it to uh, Lizzie And to Fangirl Yep <laughs> Alright so uh, Getting back to the BuzzFeed list Alright so Number 20 on the list is Dear Maria Count Me In By All Time Low and I saw that and I was like, oh, that's so true. And then I just got a little offended because I still listen to All Time Low on the regular. Like, these are yeah. my babies and they're still <laughs> growing and they can't get grouped in with all of these, like, bands for youngsters. Like, All Time Low to me is timeless. But that... <laughs> timeless. <laughs> Sorry. Timeless. She's 16. It's timeless. <laughs> 17. No, I was timeless because it's all time. All I know. Time. <laughs> I'm with you. Anyways. But... I don't know. I just thought it's kind of surreal. I think everyone has that one band that's kind of stuck with them from their scene phase. Like okay. we still listen. My mom and I still listen to Pierce the Veil on the regular. They're, they're still good. We're, that's still going to be our play out song. I, whenever I say I like all Tim Lowe, everyone assumes I'm still emo and I struggle with that a lot. <laughs> like um, a good friend of mine still loves Fall Out Boy. 
another one still loves Paramore, but, the, but then you listen to, well, I guess, more and, mature music. But they're still putting out new records, and that, that oh, last record that they Oh, but old Paramore. Like, number eight on the list, Misery Business by Paramore oh, okay. from Riot. Riot is the most emo album of all time. But they're still making... I mean, they're still having hits. I mean, follow-up boy. Hits, not yeah. emo hits. Oh, okay. Oh, That's see the, the difference. difference. There you go. <laughs> um... But anyways, uh, Pierce the Veil, I still think, is a really good band. I think that it's unfair that they get lumped in with all the emo bands like Sleeping with Sirens and Escape the Fate. They seem like nice kids. They describe themselves they as... They nice kids. On, we saw them on the Warped Road, and they said, we're a bunch of Mexicans from San Diego. They, and yeah. I love when bands are self-effacing like that. It's so <laughs> funny. They um, broke the no pictures rule to take a picture with Lizzie's baby doll when we met them. Oh, that's right. Yeah. The band, band baby, the doll. If you've listened to the show for a long time, Lizzie has this doll. Of course, it's been signed by a lot of bands, starting with um, uh, Hot Shell Ray. <laughs> yep, and the ready set. And the ready set. All right, okay. So uh, what are we playing out on then? Uh, Carafinalia is their number one hit. We pierce the veil. All right, hope you enjoyed uh, this uh, this adjustment of the BuzzFeed uh, look at the 23 emo songs that every kid will remember. And uh, we'll link to it on the Podbean page. And uh, here's Pierce the Veil to uh, play out of this bit. <laughs> Hey folks, remember this? Dear Joey, getting my hair done. Be back at 3.30. Please go to Lawson's and pick up bread, lunch meat, potato salad, and pop. And if you want... Or this? We have fresh ideas at Red Barn, like a salad bar for you. This is the third time my husband went back to the salad bar. Or how about this? Well, Home Shirts has all of your vintage apparel needs, recalling all the great brands and restaurants of yesteryear, particularly from the cities of Cincinnati, Cleveland, Indianapolis, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, and St. Louis, but also from brands around the country. Just head to homeshirts.com and check out all of our vintage apparel needs, including restaurants, stores, great sports teams. Check it out, and when you order specifically from Home Shirts Cleveland, we make a couple of bucks, and we really appreciate it. Merry-go-round. Unique fashions for guys and gals. And don't forget to check out our collection of defunct teams from such leagues as the American Basketball Association, the World Hockey Association, the World Football League, and many more at HomeShirts.com. Use promo code PFTR and save 10%. That's promo code PFTR and save 10% on any Home Shirts purchase. Tim Harmson is a stand-up comedian originally from the state of Wisconsin. He's married to fellow Wisconsinite and fellow comedian, the very hilarious Mary Mack. He talks about being married to a fellow comic, as well as lots of other fun stuff. Here's our interview now with Tim Harmston. Hey, joining us on VS Tape Recorder, it's Tim Harmston. Tim, how you doing? Hey, how's it going, TF? I'm doing super good. Good, good. Now, where are you at? Are you in Minnesota or are you in Los Angeles? Uh, right now I'm in Los Angeles. Oh, very good for you. So, 
Yeah, I'm no dummy. I'm uh, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm being a snowbird out here in L.A. So. There you go. And are you splitting time between Minnesota and Los Angeles? Yeah, yeah. It's pretty much a, about an even split at this point. So okay. And a uh, lot of air travel. And and that lovely wife of yours also splitting time with you, or does she keep a different schedule? She's uh, she's back and forth quite a bit too, but mostly mostly in Minnesota. Um, so, but we we uh, we go back and forth a lot. It's just uh, weird how it's worked out for us, but that's just how it works. So. That's cool. For folks that don't know, uh, Tim's uh, a significant other is the uh, the lovely Mary Mac. She is. She is lovely and talented too. Yes, and uh, and very funny. And uh, <laughs> and I'll always remember her experience. You were just on uh, last comic standing this last go round. And uh, yes. she was on a couple of seasons ago, and I was shocked that they didn't get it. It would just blew my mind. I'm not the brightest bulb on the tree either, but, you know, I, I think Mary is hilarious, and they didn't get it. It was so weird. It's like, how are you not getting yeah. this? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, her, her humor is, is amazing because it's, it's very, um, it's very, understandable and relatable for people all across the country yet sometimes you know it's, it's just it's like it's sophisticated and it's wrapped it's very intelligent and it's wrapped in some very <laughs> very uh sort of uh, dynamic layers and it can be you know i don't know but i think it's you know great humor and she's really um you know, it was a bummer that they edited her out of the last, uh, the last season of Last Comic Stand, and we did like a background package together, and then oh, okay. she never, she never, uh, she never got put into the show. So it was kind of disappointing, but we we both had fun nonetheless. So yeah, she's a uh, low key yet with a lot of surprises. I would say it's a good place to a good yeah. Place to yeah yeah it's her humor is very surprising and and the and um. I was kind of saddened that they didn't include it in this year's show because I thought it would have been great. But again, you know, you just never when you sign up for a reality show, you just never know oh, yeah. what you're going to be if you're going to make it or you're not going to make it. How they're going to frame things and and so. But fortunately, they put me on. Um, they put a, quite a few of my jokes on, so yeah. I was very excited about that. And it's what nice too is when you guys work together. Uh, that's a nice mix because you're not getting, you know, just you know, a, a female version of you and a male version of her. You know, it's it's two, it's two different kinds of uh, of comedy, and so you know you're not you're not spoiling people for you know whoever happens to be uh, the feature and whoever happens to be the headliner. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. We we've been working together since we got married a couple of years ago. Uh, we've been working together almost exclusively um, because. We just kind of have a rule that we can't go out on separate tours because it's really, it's it's really hard to be far away from each other for that long. So it's like I'll go out and open up for her, or she'll open up for me. And and I think you're right. I think audiences enjoy the fact that there's two comics that are from the same geographical area, but they have completely different styles. Yeah. And completely different takes. And and the thing that she's trying to do. Um, more so than me is she's trying to make us uh, like a comedy duo, which is <laughs> ridiculous because when we're on stage together, she has she has groundlings training 
And so her improv, you know, um, skills are way more advanced than mine. So I'm just trying to like keep up with her. And it basically turns into like the Mary Mag show with her mute husband, Tim Harmston. And yeah. it's, it's just kind of a ridiculous thing, but we, we, we enjoy it when we go on stage together. It's just kind of fun to goof around and now you're, audience likes it. You're both out of the uh, Minneapolis comedy scene. She's originally from Wisconsin, though, like our friend Jackie Cation. And, uh, yeah. You, and you're originally We're both from Wisconsin. Oh, you are? Okay. I wasn't, I couldn't remember. Uh, what part of Wisconsin yep. are you from? Excuse me. Um, I'm from Western Wisconsin in a town called Menominee. Okay. That uh, yeah. Dee, that's, dee, uh, dee, dee, dee. Menominee. Dee, 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 dee. Yeah, yeah. I hear that a lot. It's <laughs> uh, it's right next to Chippewa Falls and Eau Claire. It's right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right in the uh, yeah the um, the, you know it's about an hour away from the Twin Cities. Oh, so okay, so it's essentially, you. you know, we're we live in Minneapolis, but we're only. Just right over the river is where we grew up. So okay. So how long have you guys known each other? Oh my God, we've been we've known each other since 2003. So um, I can't do the math right now because I'm I'm not yeah. in a, I'm in poor health. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that means it's almost jeez, uh, 12, 13 years, I guess. Okay. And uh, at what point did you think, hmm, I could get to like this uh, on a permanent basis? <laughs> uh, I I pretty much knew the first time that I saw her that she was someone that I was deeply interested in because she she's you know she's beautiful and funny and highly intelligent and she has her. Um, you know, we have a lot of shared heritage and, and, and common hobbies and interests in, in terms of fishing and, and being up north and doing all the things that we do in the summer. And so um, there wasn't much not to like. And uh, so I pursued her pretty hard. <laughs> so growing up in Wisconsin, were you like a comedy fan and always wanted to be a comedian or were you just, you ended up being like you were the funny guy in the crew and you was, why you should be on a stage someday? No, it's, it's pretty much, it's, it's pretty much the classic. I was the funny person in school and, um, and so I was going to be a comedian somewhere or another. It just, it just sort of came out a little bit later in life for me because when you're 18 years old, you don't really know that being a comedian is an actual job that you can do. You just kind of see Steve Martin post Saturday Night Live and you think, well, that's, you know, that's a world away. But when I hit about 30 years old, I decided that, oh my God, this is an actual occupation that exists. It's like, like, the government acknowledges it on tax forms. The comedian <laughs> is an occupation, so maybe I should give it a try. And uh, and and I'm glad I did. I started a lot later than most comics do. You know, most comics are at open mic when they're in college or or whatever it seems these days. And I just I feel like maybe having a late start really helped me because I had a lot of life under my belt by the time I wrote my first joke. So. Ah, yeah. What were you doing before you started stand up? Uh, <clears throat> I was this, uh, what's called a, um, set decorator in the, um, 
motion picture industry. I would work on television commercials. Okay. Um, yeah, doing uh, props and set set design and set decoration and uh, set construction and things of those like of things along those lines. And um, so that that was my job. I went to film school when I was uh, eighteen in okay. Chicago. So why the gravitation towards set decoration, or was that just something that uh, that just happened, or was, or did you have an interest? Because I know a guy that did that actually, and he worked on a he the, his big gig. He worked on Small Wonder, the old TBS sitcom from back in the eighties. Sure, he was a set decorator yeah. for that, yeah. And for a movie that was filmed in Wisconsin called, uh, oh gosh, the Ed Begley Jr. and they were, I think they were aliens or something. <laughs> I can't remember what it was called. Sounds like the, an Ed Bagley Jr. It does, late, like late 80s, <laughs> and it was filmed in Wisconsin, and uh, this guy <laughs> I knew was the set decorator for that as well. I'm almost positive yeah. it was Ed Beckley. It wasn't Tom Arnold. Anyway, but uh, yeah, so I knew somebody else that, that's done that. What, what, why the draw uh, toward that? Well, it was, it was, here's how it got kind of uh, convoluted, but I, I went to film school when I was 18 to be a director, and... Um, that was always my goal was to be a comedy director. And then I got down there and I took the classes and, and I was learning how to make, um, you know, make films and, and, and use all the equipment and so on. And then I got asked to be a PA um, on a commercial and it was the heyday. This is the early 90s. So this is the heyday of the Michael Jordan era when Michael Jordan was filming a commercial every three or four days it seemed like in Chicago so the community was very busy and I got kind of sucked into this this um, this film industry in Chicago and and before I knew it I was I was a PAing or I was out you know working as a PA almost every day that summer and then I never went back to school because the money kept coming in and I kept doing commercials and I kept just and then eventually the art department people sort of took me into their department because I was reasonably handy and I could think on my feet and I could build things and I could you know do things that you need to do to be an art department person and so I ended up kind of ascending from assistant to set decorator to art director and and you know and just kept moving in that direction and it was great and I still I still sometimes come out of retirement to do jobs um, because I have so many friends and, 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 uh, union brothers and sisters in that, in that community that I, I miss them. And so I come out and do jobs every now and then in the summer. That's cool. But, uh, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, I've had many, many amazing experiences from working with Michael Jordan and Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers and Mike Ditka and, and all these kind of sports people that do commercials. And I've had a lot of, someday I, I should probably like write a book or make some sort of record of all these cool things that I've been able to do. But oh, yeah. right now I'm just focused on comedy. So. And, uh, Meet the Apple Gates was the film. Oh, sure, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Be, being in Wisconsin, I think it was filmed on the other side of Wisconsin from where you were, but yeah, that was the film. Um, so then why the move into comedy? Did you, uh, did you finally decide, well, now now is the time, like you said, I've got like this experience under my belt and I find a lot of these things funny and uh, maybe other people will too? Yeah. You know, it's it's sort of it's a it's well, I moved into stand up comedy because being in the film business and working on commercials is 
definitely creative, but it's not being creative for yourself. Uh-huh. It's being creative for a client, whether it be Pepsi or Nike or State Farm Insurance or whatever. You're being creative um, and and being paid by them to be creative in your job, but ultimately it's for them and it's not for you. And so after doing this for 12 or 13 years, uh, I decided that I needed some sort of outlet that I could own and, and take charge of. And, and so... I you know I was I was at the Mall of America and I saw they had a stand up comedy night and I I walked in and, and watched the show and became hooked and then I started to write jokes and I realized that as a performer when you write a joke that's your own creation and so it becomes um, much more satisfying to create something on your own than not not for a client. And uh, so what kind of stuff did you start talking about when you first hit the stage? Was it, you know, stuff you'd been thinking about your whole life or was it just stuff that you thought about that week? Well, there was a, there was sort of like a, uh, there's sort of like a, um, an understanding that when you first started doing comedy at the Mall of America, like your first or second time, your whole set was about what you saw at the Mall of America. And because you would walk around the mall being so nervous about not having any jokes or material, so you'd just be like, hey, what's the deal with that uh, as-seen-on-TV store or whatever? And then you would, you know, and you would create, create your set around the three minutes of stuff that you saw at the mall until you, you know, you honed your skills and learned how to access your inner you know, your inner originality and, and, but, but that was kind of a joke that, that when you saw a first timer at the mall, it would always be like, you know, some, some joke about, you know, Cinnabon or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) But it didn't take much, you know, maybe a, maybe three or four months into the process, I started to, I started to kind of tap into uh, a lot of the, stories that I'd written down over the years, uh, I, I'd always kept a journal as if I sort of knew that someday I would be telling jokes. And so I had a whole book full of things. And a lot of them are advertising related because that's where I spent a lot of my um, working hours in, in, you know, making commercials. So a lot of them have that kind of, um, you know, flair to them or some of them are um, personal stories from growing up in the, in Wisconsin and, and, um, you know, so I like, you know, if you've ever seen my show, you know, that there's not a consistent through line. Yeah. There's no, it's, it's very, um, it's very scattered and, and, and there are some one liners and some personal stories, but it's, it's never predictable. It, the, uh, thing on the mall of America that, that my uh, daughter's uh, dream vacation has always been to go to the mall of America because, uh, <laughs> Both of them saw, uh, the, there's the Mary-Kate and Ashley video that was filmed there, gosh, probably 15, maybe almost 20 years ago now, where yep, they, they yep. fly from Los Angeles to the Mall of America by themselves and then meet their cousin there and other friends who just happen to live in Minneapolis, I guess. And uh, uh, I told that to, uh, to Jimmy Pardo, and he had the greatest Mall of America joke. He said, just have your kids walk around your mall 10 times. And you'll... Yeah. <laughs> that's great yeah that's all right i mean it is it is the it is the uh eighth wonder of uh the world i guess well um, people don't know really. that the uh the the mall the the modern shopping mall started in minnesota uh yep. 
and uh, oh, I can't remember the, what the name. It's in Eden Prairie, I think, is the um, is the first mall. Ironically, built sure. by the folks who would later bring us Target. Oh yeah, well that makes Dayton, total Dayton sense. Hudson, yeah. I mean, Minneapolis is is the uh, the forerunner of uh, creating indoor activities and experiences because of you know obviously the climate is so awful exactly in the winter um but um the mall is really kind of uninspiring but you know it's just sort of a big block with a lot of stores in it and people i think they have like a like a camera that scans you when you come in and it can read how disappointed you are when you finally get into the atrium and see how boring it is that's funny so, uh, what kind of things are you talking about on stage these days? I, I'm, I'm certain it's not shopping centers anymore. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm talking a lot about. Uh, I kind of have found some of my advertising roots. Uh, kind of talk about the relationship of, uh, of um, you know, how we are as consumers to various products, and, and I enjoy, um, you know, but I can't really say there's one. Um, one common theme through all my jokes. I've been just writing. I decided after the last album that I recorded. Um, I'm recording an album, by the way, at Acme this this um, between December 30th and, Jan- and January 3rd. Oh, great! And so um, it's going to be vastly different from my last album in the sense that I'm talking about more personal stories and some of the things about are, are about being you know, married uh, to a comedian and, and, and growing older and being, you know, in my heading towards my mid forties and that type of material. But I also have some uh, sports related stuff and, and then, you know, I think it's a good variety of topics. So if you, if I'm talking about one thing that you don't enjoy, then, you know, maybe the next joke will be something that you really um, are excited about. But, and I've been spending a lot of time in LA so, you know, there's always those uh, observations. And the most shocking thing about L.A. that I can see is that they have all these salad-based restaurants. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Like we're, we're getting those in the Midwest you now. You can pay $12 for a big chunk of iceberg lettuce and then eat it with a big steak knife if, as if you're tricking yourself <laughs> in some, like, ritualistic fantasy. I've watched... Um, you know, I've watched people cut iceberg lettuce like it was a porterhouse steak and savor every bite, and and uh, it's ridiculous. And now I think I know why LA has the most serial killers. Um, huh. <laughs> because it's a delusional, uh, it's like this delusion about eating healthy, and people will go to weird lengths. And, That's uh, hilarious. I've just been like writing about things like that that are just ridiculous. So. You ever see yourself settling permanently, you know, either back in Minnesota or uh, in Los Angeles, or do you kind of take that as you see it? I don't know. I, I I don't know what the future holds for Mary and myself. We we really really are connected deeply to Minnesota, and so it's been a real challenge to break free and you know. Um, move to LA on a full-time basis there's just so many opportunities in Minnesota and and we've been able to take advantage of opportunities in both cities so I just feel like we're 
we're um, you know we we kind of live uh, day to day, and wherever this ride takes us is where we go. And and uh, you know I, I don't really know. People ask us that all the time, and, and you know my my wife and I enjoy nothing uh, more than to be up in uh, on Lake Superior in the month of July and August. And that's where we recharge your batteries and, and write new jokes and come up with new material. And it's kind of like our, and I don't know, it's kind of like our sweet spot. So cool. You bounce ideas off each other and stuff, and or do you maybe come up with stuff and think this might be more you, and she might have maybe a, a, an observation maybe that's maybe more more to, kind of fits your set. Yeah, sometimes, but we were very delicate about critiquing each other's acts because she doesn't. Um, she doesn't really like it when I suggest things. Uh, <laughs> and so I usually just keep my mouth shut. But I ask her for help way more than she asks me. And she's really, she has her masters for crying out loud. No, so it's like she knows about editing and, and, and you know, uh, word condensing and uh, efficiency. She's a really gifted writer. So it's, it's, I'm asking her for help a lot more. Well, cool, man. Uh, uh, Continued success to you then, and uh, like as always, hope we get you down here in Cincinnati sometime soon. Uh, both of you guys, yeah, actually. that'd be terrific. I, I hope so. Yeah, I, I keep uh, keep emailing Mikey. I hope he he can have me on sometime. So I really like Cincinnati. So yeah, I'll uh, next time I see him, I'll put a bug in his ear. I haven't uh, gotten over there uh, recently, but next time I do uh, the open mic over there, I'll uh, I'll casually mention. He always enjoys that when I suggest comedians to him. <laughs> Yeah, please do, and, and thanks for the uh, article. I'm excited to see it. Great, man. Yeah, it'll be in print and online in City Pages, and uh, the podcast will drop uh, in the next couple of weeks or so. I'm trying to stockpile some for the holidays, so I have enough to get me through into January. So, Awesome. Well, happy holidays. All right, man. Thanks a lot. Talk to you later. Okay. All right, bye. bye. Thanks again to Tim Harmston for being on the show. You can catch Tim December 30th through January 3rd at the Acme Comedy Company in Minneapolis, Minnesota. His lovely and hilarious wife, Mary Mack, will be featuring for him as he's recording a CD. So if you're in Minneapolis, boy, what a treat for you folks. And you can also have your laughter preserved on compact disc and uh, MP3 for posterity. All right. So uh, the usual credits, of course, like the podcast on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter at PF66. PF Tape Recorder logo by Dan Coble. PF Tape Recorder original music composed and performed by John Baropoulos and Doug O'Connor with a little help from me. And in keeping with the kind of the emo tradition of this episode, uh, we're going to play a, a nice little Christmas tune here that you may have heard in the past. It isn't um, exactly what I would call an, an, an emo tune. It's kind of pre-emo. It's by a group called Shoes. They are from Chicago. And the song is called This Christmas. Now, years ago when I tried looking this up, uh, trying to find this song after hearing it uh, back 20 years ago. If you Google shoes and this Christmas, you get that horrible, awful Christmas shoe song by uh, the Christian group New Song. Nothing wrong with being Christian, but the song is awful. And by the way, if you want some hilarity in your life, Google Patton Oswald uh, Christmas shoes and uh, listen to his bit. Someone animated this bit about that song. So check that out. But this is the uh, the song. Uh, 
this Christmas by the Chicago band Shoes. They formed in 1974, again, pre-emo, but the song is kind of emo-esque, and uh, this Christmas compilation they put together in 1991 with groups from their own record label, as well as some other folks, uh, including Matthew Sweet, uh, let me see, Marty Jones and Don Dixon are on there, names you might recognize, and let me see who else is on here. Um, well, there's a bunch of other folks, uh, Sponge Tones, Cave Dogs, people like that, all doing Christmas tunes. And uh, this one got a lot of uh, got a lot of heat, got a lot of exposure. This probably is one of their better known songs overall. Actually, it has finally been released. You can buy either the whole album or you can buy the single in iTunes. Please go do that. And uh, we're going to play out with Shoes this Christmas. So long, and thanks for listening. Oh,